You are listening to Pangea Cast, the digital voice of Pangea Church in Seattle, Washington. We are a church that follows in the way of Jesus to inspire others in the way of love. Visit us in person on Sundays or online at seattlepangea.com. We're, we're going to jump into something that I think uh, is going to be pretty significant for the vision and uh, direction of our church. And I start by saying it's a little funny that we go from a series called We Are the Church to I Pray, especially when I just hammered we, 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 right? And, and it is ironic somewhat on purpose. You know, I've kind of embraced it because, because we, that's a big deal. Right, like when it comes to church, it comes to doing this thing. Like, like we've got to get better at being a collective. We've got to be better at owning a communal identity. And uh, and and the idea of I pray is actually to say, yeah, you pray individually, but you are part of a network. You are part of an ecosystem, and we're going to talk about that network and that ecosystem. But we're we're in this series acknowledging that prayer is actually a pretty hard thing for us to even do personally, let alone to notice the way in which prayer wires us to each other and wires us to God and wires us to the cosmos, right? And so, so prayer is this really weird sort of subject, and and so I, I step into it with my own set of questions, my own set of struggles, my own set of baggage, uh, and also my own joy and hope and trust that somehow we can actually commune with God, that, that God is not some sort of abstraction up in the sky that on those days when we feel blue makes magic happen so we feel better. But there is a God who is in all of it all the time. And there, there's a challenge to us to attune to that God. But here's the reality. If we get to the real core issue, some of us in this room have, have shame about prayer. Like, I don't pray enough. Maybe you've told yourself that. Like, I want to be a good Christian, but I don't pray enough. I want to be a good Christian, but I don't know how to pray well. Oh, every time I'm in a group set and every time we're having a prayer huddle or whatever, like I'm never going to pray out loud. How many of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, and, and, and you, you allow that to define how spiritual you are. Now, I think there's something cool and beautiful about maybe getting to a place where, where prayer can be verbalized. I, I think there is something beautiful about that, but I don't think it's the check mark on the list that says, now you know how to pray. And if you never can pray in a group setting, so what? Who cares? Jesus sees you. That's what prayer is. Jesus sees you, and and it's really just us getting to a place where we open our hearts and minds to see that Jesus already sees us and try to figure out how, like, we can be seeing Jesus and sees us, Jesus. I don't know, it just rhymed, and I liked it. Um, And so so you got got the idea. Like, like it's about, like, changing our vision of what prayer is while also embracing the, the fundamentals, yes, Verbally spoken prayer, liturgical prayer, contemplative, like these are all mediums and tools to get us wired more to each other and ultimately more to Jesus, of course. And they're really important tools. And they're tools that we can all grow in in some way, shape, or form. But they're tools. They're like, they're like the window. You don't, you don't like the window, although these are kind of, you know, they're stained glass, so maybe this, you know, bad example. Let's imagine this is a regular old window. The window isn't what's cool. It's what's on the outside of the window that's cool, right? That gives you the sun on those good days, especially if you're, 
you know, you're at a window at a beach house or something, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's not the window per se, although the window is opening up the majesty of the view. So sometimes verbalizing prayer is like that window. But today what I want to do is I want to talk about I pray except when I don't, because we really got to hammer this out. Can we just hammer this out and be honest for a moment that we don't pray um, a lot, some of us, and some of us like pray a whole lot. But, but if you're in here today and you're just saying to yourself, like, I really, like, like prayer is something that is like seasonal. Like this season of my life, I was like all into prayer. And then I just got busy and it like got hard. Or like, I've never really known how to pray. So like, I just depend on the prayers of, you know, you, you may have all kinds of baggage. But the, the truth of the matter is that many of us, when it comes to prayer, if we were to sort of pull back the layers, we would say, you know what? I do pray, except all those times that I don't. And again, that narrative of guilt is already built into that. And so today, I want to just unpack that. And maybe you can think about this really, like, honestly for a moment. I have to do this. So I, I get, I've, I've been so just, like, uh, overwhelmed by the generosity of one of my mentors. I've been on just spiritual retreat after spiritual retreat. I've been in pretty settings. And, and I haven't, you know, I never had to pay a dime for most of that. And it's just like... Ah, you know, some of you may or may not have had those experiences where you're like in intentional retreat settings all the time. But, but maybe, just maybe, this will connect. I remember being on one of these retreats a couple years ago. We're at a monastery in Arizona, and you you may think to yourself, desert. Yeah, we're at it's very deserty, but it's pretty desert. There's hills, you know, it's nice. And there's this small little chapel that is all dark and just has a few strategic places where light comes in, it is like cryptic awesome. Like if you were going to be all contemplative, this would be the place. You know what I do? I fall asleep. I literally, I'm like, I'm like, I'm in the zone, Lord, I'm here. Crash. I, and two hours later, my timer goes off. Oh, got to go back, you know. And, and, and I'm just like, what? Like, this happened twice in this room and because I've been there several times. And, and I'm just like, maybe, you know, maybe you can kind of relate. Like, like you're like, I'm going to be spiritual. It's the end of the day. I want to be spiritual. And you fall asleep. And then you end up looking like this guy, right? And then you're wondering, oh, man, I don't feel that spiritual right now, <laughs> Right? Like, yeah, of course, like, like, it totally makes sense, right? Or, or you know, I was thinking about this another way, like, you, you struggle, and you're like, man, if, if I would have just prayed more, maybe this thing would have happened that would have been really cool, you know? And so, I didn't pray enough, it didn't work out for me, and, ah, uh, next time I'll try harder to be a prayer warrior, or whatever, right? And then you feel like this guy. I mean, think about it. Yeah, oh, no, was that today, right? That's where the unicorns went, apparently. Noah took everyone but the unicorns. And so, like, like, you, like, it's like, I missed the boat because I wasn't tapped in enough to God during this season. I missed my opportunity because I didn't do enough of this. And what I want to do is just challenge all of those weird narratives that we have in our minds and just say, is Jesus better than us accidentally forgetting a mechanism? Yeah, I think so. I hope so, because if, if Jesus isn't better than that, like, like I, am, I am toast, you know? And so this idea of I pray except when I don't, right, it's, it's like, ugh, we want to be, like if we're followers of Jesus, we've been doing this church thing, and you're motivated to come to church and come to church and come to we want to be the kind of people who pray. And yet we feel stuck, or it feels empty. Or it feels forced. 
today, so today what we're going to do is we're going to like try and blow up those categories a little bit this morning. And I want to read you a passage of scripture really quick. Because if you've ever wondered, like, is it okay to, like, wonder how to pray or to tap into it better or anything? Like, I think we get permission in this passage. This is actually the Lord's Prayer, but it's Luke's version. So it's a little different. But in Luke, it gives us a little glimpse of, like, one version of where this prayer may have been prompted in Jesus' own ministry. It says this in chapter 11. He says, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who has wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation. It's, it's a condensed, beautiful version of the Lord's Prayer. And what I, what I really, really appreciate about it, as you can guess, is the disciples have to ask for help. They need a clue. Who's in the crew? James. Son of Zebedee, right? Pretty big deal. Who's in the crew? Peter. John. Like, he's all these, like, yeah. And no worries about baby. Keep baby going. We're good. I'm serious. We're happy babies here. And so, like, I, I just want, I want us this morning to be honest about this impulse that we need help. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to name a couple of things. Here's, here's, here's one thing I just, I want us to name because I think, I think we need to grab this. It's this, Jesus models prayer, but it's not just that Jesus models prayer, which he does multiple times. You'll see Jesus actually showing people prayer. And we're gonna talk about one of those instances today that, can I be honest with you? I'm, I'm hoping I blow your mind a little today. Can I do that? And if I don't, don't tell me I didn't blow your mind because I'll feel bad. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but it's really important that we get this. Like, like Jesus models it, but Jesus makes space to question and ask for how to do it. Like it's not just, let me show you. It's, do you need me to show you? Let me show you. And the apostles who move this thing called Christianity out into the world, are the very ones who need the help. And I kind of figure if Peter needs a little, like, clue, yeah, he was a little bit of a mis- mischievous guy, but if he needs a clue, I can, have a, I, I can have that need too. You can have that need too. And so, here's the foundational thought today, that we are all praying being, beings, that we're all praying beings, and, and that's one of the narratives that I think we've got to like let reside within us that has to like kind of overshadow all of the other narratives that I don't do it enough or I'm not good at it. Maybe I'm not designed for it. Maybe I've never really tapped into this impulse. The, the, the narrative at the very bottom besides God is love and he looks like Jesus, the next layer of that is you can know Jesus because you are a praying being. It's in your, and I can't prove this scientifically, but we'll just say it, prayer is in your DNA. It is how you are wired. 
You have this intrinsic part of yourself that cries out to something beyond yourself. And so what I want to do right now is I'm actually going to invite Pastor Jen up here. We're going to have a conversation about this because maybe you've already had a conversation with Jen about prayer at some point in your journey here at Pangea. She really digs this stuff. Um, and, and it's not like she digs going up on her holy hill, and maybe she does. But, but more so, what, what, what is so cool about Jen is she loves listening, hearing from other people's experience about how they connect to God, and then, and then like empowering them to notice that there's even more there than they even realize. And I think that's a gift. Um, it's enhanced my life over the last year, especially. So Jen, come on up here really quick, and let's, let's process some of this. Because like, you know, it's easy to say like we're all praying beings. Is that working? You solid? Yeah. Yes, and I'm also going to grab my my comfort chair so I can oh, yes. feel like I'm not talking chair. to people. I would have grabbed it. I forgot. <laughs> we talked about that. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but something about sitting yeah. down. I'm like, oh, now I'm not talking in front of a no, bunch of people. Solid. Like, solid. Oh, no, yeah, no, this good. is going. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, comfort cool. chair. Yeah. Um, can I can I do this? <laughs> yes. I want to sit at your feet. Work. So. Is, yeah. you so but my questions are right here, so I'm going to bring this down here. Okay. Um, oh, I'm fine. There are two. Yeah, I don't know. I'm good. Okay. So, you, like, are obviously passionate about this stuff. And um, one clear area of prayer passion has to do with, like, diversity mm-hmm. and, and sort of including voices and this sort of impulse. Um, can you talk about that passion and, um, yeah, how you yeah. see... Um, and this one, I'll say at first, I invite any of you guys to come and... Um, approach me and talk to me more about this if this is an area that you have questions in or are passionate about because I'm going to try and only say really a few sentences on this because it's an area of passion and I um, yeah. I feel so strongly about this but prayer and diversity um, when I think of diversity within prayer I'm thinking of um, ethnic and cultural ethnicity. I'm thinking of uh, ethnicity of diversity. I'm thinking of diversity in classes, and I'm um, especially thinking of diversity in practice, which I think kind of all those elements um, play with each other, anyways. Um, but it feels so important to me that we don't pray um, in a one-note, homogenous way because my experience is that God is much more multifaceted than that. Um, In my experience, it feels like um, differences tend to be an invitation to more rather than less, and it seems um, that's what God desires for his church to lean into. Um, And I also am really passionate that each individual does not have um, the weight of responsibility of embodying the full diversity, but does have an individual um, responsibility or invitation to support diversity in the communal organism that they are actively a part of so that together we can diversely um, pray towards um, God and kind of yeah. see a bigger God in that way. Yeah, I think that's all I'll say on that question. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. keep going. We're good. Yeah. Um, it's so yeah. good. So, so the next thing I want to talk to you about is like 
So, so Jen shared this analogy with me recently. She talked about prayer is breathing. Mm-hmm. And, and when we talk about all of life is prayer, um, and, and that we're like all praying beings, right? Like, like we all breathe all the time, right? So, mm-hmm. so like, yeah. what, could you tease that out? Like, talk about that analogy and what it means for you and what yeah. it might invite others to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is also really important to me. So it, um, I will say this may make a few of you uncomfortable because it's, it's, um, it can be seem too inclusive in a way without um, discernment. But I do believe that if you can breathe, um, you can pray. You already are praying. Like there is something about um, the the wholeness of everything that we're doing in life, um, even just how God is interested in and desiring, and giving us breath, and giving us life, um, and that includes the breath of um, a wide variety of emotions and circumstance, and I think we're, within our physicality, we are spiritual beings that doesn't go away, but there is something that happens when we take intention into our breath, and we recognize that this is something that we um, uh, we want to maybe with with our mind and and with our body recognize that this is spiritual. So in some sort of um, I don't know for an example contemplation meditation big breaths and and yeah. breathing with Jesus. Um, I believe there's something deeper that um, that you're including in your life or even the breath that you use to sing, the breath you use to speak um, words of love to someone who really needs to hear it or to yourself, you know? Um, But so kind of having, having the tools already if you have lungs, you know, and kind of not feeling like we have to gather all of these tools. And I'm, um, I think it's good to gather tools. Like there's life that we can get out of it, but it's not in order to become a prayerful being. You have been made to be a prayerful being because um, you actually, I think you pray every day. That's just something can additionally, there's an invitation to lean into um, the intention of that prayer and um, you know, kind of move forward and deeper into understanding of God and your relationship with God as you bring intention, but um, there's not, uh, in my opinion, I believe everyone in this room has been praying since they were born. That's good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I, I I just think of the breath of life being a biblical image of, like, mm. that's life, or, like, the Holy Spirit being breathed, you know. And, oh, it's such a helpful way to think about this. Um, I'm wondering, like, when we talk about barriers, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I have my own barriers, sleeping, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, like, 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 when we talk about barriers to going into a life of prayer that's, like, oriented towards Jesus, somehow experiencing Jesus in a way that we're aware of, what do you think are the barriers that we struggle with, um, both in personal spaces and communal spaces and take that wherever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that's one of the things we're just sitting with today is like, this is not easy to step into sometimes. At least it doesn't feel easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I actually, this only came up a few days ago, so yeah. I had some of an answer to this question, but then I had this phone call with a friend um, just, uh, just a few days ago, and she has gone through um, some, some really difficult things recently. Um, a few years ago, she um, just had really um, pretty grievous, horrific interaction with um, the church abroad. And so she's, um, she's kind of in the aftermath of that. And, uh, and I had called her up actually to see um, with my own journey, I'm kind of, I'm calling up a few friends to prayerfully join me in uh, a journey with m- my season of trying to look for a job and kind of look, what does that even mean to prayerfully do that? I'm calling up these people. Um, but this person, she actually, she described herself as being in um, a dry spell, mm-hmm. um, which I think most of us have heard or used for ourselves of feeling like we're not connected or we're just, I don't know who God is. She's very much like, I believe there is a God that isn't, um, that isn't the question, but she kept telling me with a lot of guilt and sadness in her voice, like my Bible is getting dusty. I haven't prayed to Jesus in, um, in so long. Like maybe I think about him and maybe me and my husband talk about him once in a while. Um, but he's just not part of my life, um, in the way that, uh, she was used to in her college days. That's when she kind of experienced that flow of life. Um, and she said something to me that made me so sad, but she was saying, I feel like God and I are just acknowledging that the other exists. And that's, that's kind of it. Like, I'm not, I'm not even mad at him or sad at him or feeling love towards him. I just, um, we kind of just know that we both exist and we pass by each other once in a while. Um, and I actually spoke to her a little bit of the breath analogy and trying to um, kind of reawaken and remember, like, well, um, I won't say her name, but I, I, like she, um, you're a spiritual being. That actually didn't go away. Like you're, um, the things that you're you're going through and um, even some of the celebrations that she's had in her life, in some way you are praying uh, towards a God, if anything, because that God is always postured towards you Mm -hmm. and everything that you're doing is going to be um, this this prayer and some sort of communication towards him. Um, And and we talked through that a little bit and, and invited her to maybe lean in um, to let, actually my spiritual director told me this, which I love, um, letting the experience be the prayer, especially in the moments where you're feeling like, how am I going to talk? You know, how am I going to say, even just like, and liturgy, I think, can sometimes help with that leaning, but sometimes that's like, I don't even want to say these words, and it's like, that's okay. Like, even if you're apathetic, let's be apathetic towards God, and trying to invite her into that, Um, but also reminding her, like, you never stopped praying, and she just, she actually breathed, and like, you know, and kind of was just like, 
oh my gosh, like I feel so free from that somehow and just kind of like an, wow. an identity check. Um, and, and that story to me kind of embodies some of the barriers that we come against, like forgetting, um, forgetting and then believing that at any point we can stop being spiritual, um, having some, like a, a rut or a habit of non-movements. Like I think of the static, like you exist, I exist. And maybe that would be a misunderstanding of what existing means, um, I would say the, that kind of, yeah. like, that story, um, I mean, I wasn't shocked by that story, you know? Right. Like, it, that's so common. I have been there. I have said some of the things that she's said before. Um, but I, I would say that um, it's not the most straightforward answer, but that story to yeah. me seems like one of the biggest barriers that we have in um, in leaning towards uh prayer and then and and she also in that story too because of her history with church but also I think also because of just how she thinks of herself spiritually she's not leaning into community right now um and she keeps saying she wants to uh but she's afraid um she told me she's afraid because she knows that will be really hard and there's a risk of getting hurt um to which I said, you're right, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to say that's not true, um, but, uh, wow. uh, yeah, those are no, the that's, for sure. I didn't know about that story, that's good. Yeah, I didn't either that's until good. a few oh, days no, ago. That's good, that's good, that's helpful, I mean, yeah. because that, I mean, that illustrates probably a lot of our stories in a lot of ways, right, yeah. like, yeah, we just aren't connecting anymore, but it's not like I don't think God is real, I just don't think God really yeah. no- notices me beyond I'm here around, you know, that's mm-hmm. that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Jen. That was awesome. Can we do this thing? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, because, you know, as we, as we think about this reality that we're praying beings in our DNA and, and every experience, hi, sweetie, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you made it today. Um, and, and every experience we have, the invitation to push that experience into God, good, bad, ugly, awesome, right? And, and even just sort of leaning into that direction, that trajectory is a step into prayer that we're acknowledging at least, right? And uh, what a helpful way to th- really think about it in a very human level. And I want to take us now maybe into the scriptures to sort of illustrate some of these things because I think Jen really gave us the framework. And, and if you want to know where we're going in this series, that's kind of the big vision. Like, like we want to, to discern what it means to like that all of life is a way in which we can lean into God, that we can notice God, and, and to notice that each person within a community may have a different set of tools that they utilize. Each of us have the opportunity to grow into new um, you know, new spaces of prayer in different ways. But the guilt narrative, the I'm not good enough at this narrative, the dusty Bible narrative, we've got to start to figure out how we can release those into the hands of a God who already is communing with us. And so what I want to do is I want to transition us, and I want to make a pretty weird claim this morning. And I I tested this on our staff. So if if... If it's really weird and bizarre, um, they're also weird and bizarre. I'm not going to own the whole blame. Um, but, but I was 
reflecting on this series and um, I do a lot of my prayer on the go and my connecting with God just as I go. And I, I feel like I was standing in my bathroom, don't know what I did before or after. You know, bathrooms are private spaces. Um, but but uh, I was there and I had this overwhelming sense and thought that um, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to put it on the screen. And it's, just, it's just this. If, if prayer is about orienting our lives around Jesus, then the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories about Jesus, are living prayer documents. I'll say it one more time, and then I want to just say some stuff, and we're going to read a story and be done. If prayer is about orienting our lives around Jesus, if that's like the, the ultimate goal, so, so we acknowledge that we're all praying beings, and even if we don't acknowledge that we're praying in some sort of cosmic connection to Jesus, who is God revealed in the flesh, right? Even if we can't quite do that experientially all the time. If, if the purpose of prayer for Christians is to point us and orient us towards Jesus, to lean all of life into Jesus, then the gospels are living prayer documents. And here's what I want to talk about. The gospels are fascinating, aren't they? Like just in and of themselves, and, and here's what's really cool about the Gospels. They, they tell us about Jesus. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But there's something like just, you know, at a, at a very spiritual level. So today I'm not talking like a theological or biblical studies level. I'm talking about just at a very spiritual level this morning. That in the Gospel stories, we have people around the God of the universe embodied in Jesus, Right? interacting with him, talking with him. Jesus is right there. They're, eat, they're eating at the market together. You know, they're doing all this stuff together. And some of them have no clue who they're interacting with. Others have like a growing sense of who they're actually interacting with. You see this in the lives of the disciples. And once in a while, you get someone making this like profound claim you are the Lord and the Christ, right? Like, and it's like, oh, I'm not just interacting with another person. This is the person who embodies Israel's God. Yeah, it's heavy, right? But throughout the Gospels, it's just like there, there are just interactions. And after interaction, here's the deal. Like if we agree that when we utilize tools or when we point ourselves towards God, like we acknowledge our all-prayingness in our DNA-ness. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. Um, that the, the bottom line point is we are engaging in some sort of mysterious conversation, and I use that with air quotes, and connectivity to Jesus. And so the Gospels, that's all that you're seeing. I mean, I would venture to say that when Pilate is interviewing Jesus and saying, hey, man, like, I'm going to have to do something here. I don't want to do it. Can you just be cool? Like, can you just calm down? I'd love to let you go. And, and they're having this weird dialogue, and, and Pilate, you know, just confound by this man, you know. Pilate, in that moment, is praying to Jesus and doesn't even know it. You know what I mean? Like, Pilate is engaging with the living God and doesn't even know it. You tracking so far? Now, now, this gets really weird. Have you ever seen the movie Inception? How many of you have seen the movie Inception? Just a little hand. Okay. So most of you who are adults. And, and if you, I, this isn't a spoiler. It's kind of in the trailers. So we'll just roll with it, right? So, so in Inception, it's this idea that 
you can like activate a world of dreams, right? And there's these moments where people go into collective dreams together to do missions and mess with people, and it's really weird, right? But then they have to do something very bizarre. There are times when they have to go into a dream that is happening within the dream itself. They have a dream within a dream. Are you following? You remember this? And then the thing that shouldn't ever happen, but does, that might be a spoiler, oh well, a dream within a dream within a dream. By the way, I love this movie. Why haven't I seen it in the last three years? It is so good. Now, if you can just kind of hold that for a moment. Now, imagine the Gospels are sort of like that. That on the surface level, it is just all prayer because it's all about engaging with Jesus. It's all about getting to know Jesus. People don't know they're engaging with Jesus. Maybe they do, but it is just the life of Jesus. If you're around Jesus, you're praying because that's the whole point of prayer, knowing God, talking to God, engaging with God, right? Absolutely. But then there's this other level that's like, hey, um, I'm going to teach you about prayer. So all of a sudden, Jesus is now stepped from, this is just flat prayer because I'm here to, I'm going to teach you prayer. So it's like prayer within a prayer in the gospel, right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something ridiculous, and he, he can go a step further, and he prays to God the Father, which in a weird, mysterious way is like praying to himself, except there's this Trinity thing. We're not going there today, but you get what I'm saying? Like that's a prayer within a prayer within a prayer kind of layer. You following what I'm doing here this morning? So if all the gospels, if we were to just put on one tool, right, one lens this morning and approach them as living prayer documents, I think it changes what prayer has to be or could be for us. I think it invites us to the reality that, yes, all of prayer, act, or all of life actually is prayer. And there were some lucky folks in the first century who just got to have a physical manifestation of God in front of them. That's the only difference. So, I want to read a story. It's a familiar story. We've read it at Pangea probably twice since we started, maybe three times. It is a very important story. It's in the Gospel of John, and it is in John chapter 11. We're going to read 32 through 37. And you may remember the story. I'll, I'll give you some spoilers. It doesn't matter because um, we're going to be very intentional as we walk through it. But in this story, Jesus has heard that his friend Lazarus is dying. This is a dear friend, a friend from Bethany. I've been um, outside of the church where, like, all of this event has supposedly happened in Bethany. It's, it's fascinating. And Jesus is like, well, I'll get there eventually. Right? Like, like he's kind of nonchalant. And so, so we get to verse 32, and Mary comes up to him. And I love this. Hear, hear this. And we're going to just walk this through for a few minutes, and we'll tie it together, and we're going to actually engage in, in a prayer this morning together to lean into the back end of our service. And this is what it says in verse 32. It says, When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Pause. Have you ever had a moment where something horrible has happened? I know you have, your sweetheart. And in that 
moment, the very honest part of you, just like, God, if you had been here, if you had known what I was going through, if you'd cared, this bad thing would not have happened to me or someone I love. All of life is prayer. God can handle it. Jesus can handle it. Mary in this moment is crying out to the living God. Doesn't know she's doing that necessarily, but she is speaking to the face of God. If you would have been here, things would have been different. She is praying. Check out how the story unfolds. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, big letters. Jesus began to cry. One of the things that we don't often recognize when we're having those moments of crisis, those real world, like, why is this happening? Where is God in all this? Why can't my life come together? Why don't my opportunities seem to line up? Like, like when we're having those moments, we do not recognize that on the other side of that moment, is a God, a Jesus, who was weeping right there with you. Jesus could have, in this story, gone from, where is he? Fix it. Bypassed all the emotion, all of the pain, all of reality, but Jesus isn't that kind of God. Jesus is a God who cares so deeply about the pain in this world that he must sit with that pain before he seeks to see if there is an avenue through which pain can be healed. How many of you have ever been told that prayer is a formula? If I pray this way, God will fix it. If I pray enough this way, God will put it back together. You know what I didn't hear in a lot of these scenarios is that when I pray, when I'm raw, when I'm honest, when I'm suffering, when I'm in pain, there is a God who is feeling the weight of that in a more profound way than we probably can even imagine. And the outcomes aren't always guaranteed, even with God. I know that's... I remind you of a few weeks ago when Jesus is in his hometown and all kind of stuff going on. They're like, oh yeah, you, you're just a hometown boy. You don't know what you're doing and he can't do miracles there. There's something about the network in the cosmos that can even interrupt the move of God in a situation because God is generous, gave us free will and as much as that brings pain into the world, it gives us freedom. In this situation, Jesus has an opportunity to intervene. In verse 36, it says, The Jews said, See how much he loved him. But some of them said, He healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again, and he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, Remove the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. <laughs> Have you ever like, felt like God was guiding you into something and you're like, that's not practical. That's silly. I don't want to do that. Like the smell of that story that you're about to write with me, God, that smells awful. I'm not in on that. So Martha is having one of those like, uh-uh, this doesn't quite compute Jesus. And, and she goes on and says, look, he's been dead for four flipping days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, now here you go. If you ever want to know if Jesus is praying within a prayer in the story, you're going to get that. But then what you're going to get is the other layer halfway through the sentence. And you're going to get prayer within prayer within prayer. And here's why. So it's, Father, thank you for hearing me. Direct connection. I know you always hear me. I say this, who's he saying it for? For the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe you sent me. He is modeling prayer, he is praying, and he is the actualization of prayer that they didn't even know was already among them. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice. I love this, by the way, Jesus doesn't just say, come out, Lazarus, it's all good. Sometimes God needs to shout. Sometimes Jesus needs to shout to be declarative that I, I, I have this. I am passionate about this. Sometimes you need to shout when you're passionate. Start shouting when you're passionate. Start crying when you're sad. Start feeling when you need to feel. Jesus, again, just showing us all of the layers of prayer in this story. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. As if healing someone from being dead is bad news. Let's go tell on him. Let's go tell the Pharisees. few thoughts. A few thoughts. We've said it in multiple ways. I'm going to just say it explicitly. Jesus has room for all the experiences and emotions of real life. And we need to own that because if we don't own that, all of this talk about prayer, all this stuff about becoming like more engaged and more connected as a community and to Jesus and all, come on. How many Sundays or, or maybe you're part of a village, is it like, wow, my last few days or my day has been so rough. I'm, I'm not going to go. You, you know what I mean? And I'm not, that's not a guilt thing. It's just like me thing. This morning I was tired. I was like, I don't know. I, I have to go, but I don't want to go. You know, you know, you know how that goes, right? Right? And it's not even about the being with people. It's about the logistics of being with people, you know? Like, yeah. Or, or like how many times do you like, like just step into situations and, and maybe it's a, a very spiritual bible study thing. And instead of being like, hey, here's what's, going on, it's, wow, this passage is so assuring. Let's talk about its truths for the next five minutes. You know what I mean? We extract truths that make us feel good, but they're not really how we're feeling, right? And, and, and what this story and what I think Jesus shows us over and over again is that all of life is prayer, and Jesus has room for us to just be real about it. 
And I know wherever you might be in the spiritual spectrum, maybe you're like, eh, this prayer is weird or, you know, totally get that. But this is kind of what we're trying to step into. And another thought, though, is we, we must choose to orient our inherent prayerful identity towards Jesus. That's the hard step. That's the hard step. It's not just saying, yeah, everything is spiritual. My life is spiritual. Because that, that is, like, foundational to, like, moving in this direction. But then there's this other step that can take place where we orient all of that around Jesus himself intentionally. Have you ever had a season of your life where you were intentionally noticing and expecting Jesus to be with you? And maybe you would say, no, you know what? Honestly, no. Or maybe you would say, yeah, I did. And it was the best thing ever. And then it got hard and I just got tired and I I just got lazy or I just, you know, and all those weird narratives start popping back in your head. But, but one of the most profound things about the Gospels is just watching how people interact with Jesus, how people notice Jesus, how people expect good things from you. And so shifting our identity. And so I, I want to invite us into the first maybe step of our journey together. That we've talked about this a few times around here, about noticing Jesus. And as we were talking, one of the things that was really interesting was that we used to do this thing where, like in our villages, where we would be like, hey, where have you noticed Jesus in your last week? Which I think that's still a valid question to ask, and I think it's helpful. But you know what that really is doing? It's it's saying, I didn't notice Jesus, but now I'm going to reconstruct a narrative, and it may be a true narrative, right? Where, oh, that was such a like amazing little moment of my week. Jesus must have been there. Beautiful. I agree with you. But if we're going to take this noticing thing to the next level, it's no longer just about what has happened that we didn't notice before and now we're noticing and it's refreshing. It's about saying, no, no, I want to be the kind of person who is actively already noticing those things as they emerge because I notice Jesus in every breath. It gives new thought, I think, to prayer without ceasing. Now, here's the deal. None of us are actually going to do that, right? But we can start trying. We can start leaning in. We can start like pushing towards God in those areas. And so what I want to do is I want to close this time together as we kind of move towards more worship and prayer and communion together. I, I want to just sort of pause this space. I want to invite us to just pray and open our hearts and minds to God because I think we can be people who notice Jesus here and now, and we can imagine what it's going to be like already on Wednesday, on Thursday. We already have our calendar basically in our head. We can imagine what Jesus could look like if we started noticing it in advance. So can I try something a little weird? Yeah, you're, you're like, this has all been weird. It's fine. Um, I want to invite you if, you, if you would like to engage in just a practice of just pausing with Jesus and reflecting on this, I want to invite you, if you're able, to, to just sit and close your eyes. And maybe in this moment, it helps to center your heart and mind by just taking a few real intentional breaths. Maybe take a breath through your nose 
and exhale through your mouth a couple of times. Maybe you can notice that in every breath, God has given you life and an invitation to know that you are loved. But then I want you to consider your next week. The kind of things that you know that are coming. And perhaps just pick one of the more predictable, this always kind of happens. Sometimes it's really a struggle. Sometimes it's actually really life-giving. Kind of just anchor that in a moment that you know is coming and you can kind of feel and experience what that moment is basically like because it's a repetitive sort of thing in your life flow. Then imagine in that moment you're breathing. And in every breath, you see Jesus is breathing with you. What changes about that moment? What are you feeling? What emotions are awakening in that moment? Can you anticipate it? Can you already begin to feel that difference?